0: Hello, and welcome back to Loading Screen, a podcast where we discuss various gaming phenomena. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Tristan, and I'm joined by Raza. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. And we're back to the phenomena of when you go back to play an old game that you thought was great, and it turns out they're not that much fun anymore. Um... Last episode, we talked about our favorite games. Basically, that's what we spent the hour doing, just our favorite games. We <laughs> talked about retro games, classic games, and how a game becomes a classic. Uh, and today, kind of following on uh, that theme, we're going to talk about how to actually access and play these classics. You know, once you've chosen what retro game you want to play, what classic game you want to play, how to actually go back and play them. Uh, and we're going to touch upon kind of broad things around how games are released, a gaming preservation, gaming accessibility. So we'll probably deep dive into a bunch of these topics, but that is the theme. You know, hopefully at the end of this episode, you'll understand how do you access classics? And then finally, in the next episode, as we wrap up the phenomena, we will actually address it head on. We'll talk about why these classic games are not fun to play anymore. But uh, before we get our ahead of ourselves, let's uh, let's jump back. You know, after episode one, we talked about our ver- uh, we talked about her favorite games. I talked about Mario World, Final Fantasy VI. Um, you talked about some newer games, I guess. Uh, yeah, you didn't play too many classics. Yeah, mine were much newer than yours. The Last of Us um, and, and other games like that. I think the oldest one is probably like Crash Bandicoot, but that's still yeah, not that's a very classic. very old. Yeah. Um. So let's say we have these lists of games that we want to play. How do you even access them? How do you even play them? You know, um, and before I answer that, maybe I'll ask you, Raza, what are your current ways to access classic games? Let's say you wanted to play Pokemon Red or Blue. i got to keep bringing that up. Um, how would you do that? Oh God, yeah,
1: I mean, I, I feel like the only thing only imaginable way I can think of accessing them is by trying to you know actually set up an emulator on my laptop or something uh, mm-hmm. or you know getting my hands on one of those old consoles where it was supported um, natively. Um, I mean, I think those are the only two ways off the top of my head that I would probably approach it. I don't know if there's remakes available for that for that particular game on on Switch, but I feel like my order of operations would be one check if there is remakes or, or remasters. Mm-hmm. um two if there's not then see if i can reasonably get my hands on an old console and if not then i would try the emulator approach just because emulators are a pain in the ass to set up um but that's that's me i I don't have that much experience but you're the expert here so what do you actually do
0: actually before i go into my expertise i want to ask you you said reasonable price for an old console <laughs> what is a reasonable price for like a game boy for you <gasps>
1: Well, I mean, I wouldn't want to spend anything more that I would spend on like a current console, right? I mean, like some of these things. $600? Like <laughs> yeah, like there's no way I'm spending $600 on a Game Boy Advance. I mean, like the way I see it, I would only engage with these classics for the purposes of like a hobby or like exploration, right? Mm-hmm. And so like I probably wouldn't spend more than like $100, 150 max of like 200 bucks if I really thought I was going to get multiple games out of it. Um, but I, again, I haven't really sought it out. It's not something I've like actually put effort into, into doing.
0: Got it. Okay. That's fair enough. I think, I think honestly that price point for a game boy is not that bad. Yeah, I would
1: figure so. I mean, it's like 30 year old hardware. Uh.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How hard could it be? (laughs) Um, what do I do? I used to emulate a ton just because I want to play as many games as possible. And Mm -hmm. honestly, I, I'm going to get arrested for this, I guess. Um, I didn't want to go and buy (laughs) all these games. Uh, But more recently I've been buying like the original cartridges that I can play on newer. I I put in like quotes, newer hardware, like analog has their super Nintendo hardware or like their game boy hardware called uh, analog uh, pocket. So I usually play on those just because they work better with modern technology. Yeah. Um, But I think those are the two things. Like, I I think I told you, I just got a Steam deck and I've been emulating games on that too. I'm very jealous. Um, Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm probably not going to get mine for like several months
1: uh, based on the the wait list. The wait time, yeah. Yeah, the wait time. You'll get there. Um, I've heard pretty great things about some of these newer hardwares that are available that have emulators built in by default though. Um, I've never tried them, but I, I think actually that's probably one of the options I would probably give a go.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, going back to kind of ease of access, it's just so easy to just use whatever you already have, like going out and like here, where would you even buy a Game Boy Reza? I'd probably start with eBay or like okay. Craigslist, but <laughs> I mean, that's that.
1: Yeah. I don't think you could just, you know, two day ship a Game Boy on Amazon. Right. In.
0: Right. <laughs> Jeff Bezos is not going to send that over to you. So <laughs> um, we'll get into that, but I, I, I don't think I'm going to describe this flowchart that I made in our notes because uh, it's a pretty extensive. It's a beautiful flowchart. Very, very uh, uh, descriptive. Yeah, I, I did tweet it out. Um, so if you want to look at <laughs> my Twitter, you can look at the exact flowchart I'm talking about. But kind of the main themes on how to access older games, classic games, retro games, I broke it down into four kind of categories. One is the original hardware. Uh, which we briefly touched upon and we'll kind of deep dive into it the second is emulated hardware uh where you know it's kind of the modern newer hard like analogs that's basically emulated because they reverse engineered it or you emulate it on your computer or on your steam deck so that's emulated because it's not the original thing they're kind of like pretending to be the old thing Uh, The third category is remasters and remakes, which uh, I'm sure we're going to spend a ton of time on. Mm -hmm. And the last one is not accessible. Uh, (laughs) uh, It sounds weird, but there are some games that even if you do want to play them, you just can't. So too bad. Um, You should have been with the trends and and played it when it came out, but uh, we'll touch (laughs) upon that too. Um, Maybe we'll start with the easiest one, per se, like original hardware. Do we want to deep dive into that? Yeah, let's go for it. So, yeah, let's talk about using original hardware. If you want to experience the games as they were meant to, as they were released, with all the hardware things that came of that era, um, you want to basically get everything from that time, right? So let's use Super Mario World as an example that came out on the Super Nintendo. You're going to need the original SNES. You're going to need an SNES controller, the game cartridge itself, and a CRT monitor. That's so easy. Very, yeah. e- I have all of those just under my bed. Very right. so okay. easy. Yeah. You fit a CRT monitor under your bed? <laughs> sleep on a bunk mean. bed or something? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, he, there's a couple problems with this. Uh, it's very expensive, and it takes up a lot of space. Uh, yeah. Imagine, I mean, CRT monitors, if you don't know what that is because you're too young, uh, I believe it's like a... <laughs> cathode ray tube monitor where it's like just look up old monitor on google it's these like really (laughs) bulky things they're not thin they're really thick um they're very heavy they're like almost a foot wide it's like a cube almost half the time yeah it's almost Um, a cube yeah so imagine like (laughs) mountable i mean you need a very strong (laughs) wall uh Takes up a lot of space. Imagine trying to play a classic arcade game, right? Like you're not going to put that in your house unless you live mm-hmm. in a mansion. So usually, money is your bottleneck here. Either you don't have enough space to put all this stuff in, or the actual hardware and the games are very expensive. Um, and i I think we did we talk about Pokemon cards ever in our podcast? Uh no, I don't think we have. Okay, uh, I'm not going to open that can of worms then, but. There has been a rise of interest in collecting games, um, and I don't know if you've seen this, where people basically buy like a mint condition of a video game. Yeah, I have. They're they like put insanely insanely in this like, plastic expensive. tube. Yeah, it's 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 ridiculous. I mean, the
1: preservation that people go to to like preserve a lot of these things is insane. Mm-hmm. um but also the prices that people pay for this stuff was also ridiculously high right because I mean it's a limited good right it's not like they're making Game Boy advances every year and so if you yep. want to get your hand on some of these older um, hardwares that were only really in production for like I don't know six seven years mm-hmm. um you're gonna have to pay up uh, significantly compared to you know just being able to download or emulate it online
0: yeah and it's it's gotten worse obviously like games that are older there's less of them on earth, Um, so (laughs) supply goes down, demand tends to go up. Um, and one concrete example that I always use here is earthbound, where if you go to eBay right now, uh, cartridge will start around $300 Jesus. And earthbound is a game that was on the super Nintendo. So it's about 20, 30 years old, um, closer to 30, I guess. And those kind of like collectible versions where maybe it's still plastic wrapped, maybe it is mint condition, you know, maybe it's a Japanese version. Those go up to about like $2,000, $3,000. Oh my God. That's insane. I wouldn't so, have expected it in the thousands. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's insane. So like, yes, Oh, I want to play earthbound. Cause I've heard very really good things about it. Uh, just buying the game will cost you that much outside of all the other hardware that you want to buy. And, I think the other thing is like, because this is such a financially lucrative area, there are reproductions, there are fakes, you know, you need to go and check if some, something is authentic to go and check if the battery in the cartridge is actually working. So when I asked you, like, where would you buy your game boy? And you say eBay, there's actually a lot of extra overhead that you need to do, uh, do. No, great point. It's
1: a lot easier to get scammed right because you just mm-hmm. the chance that you actually get to hold these things hands- on before you purchase them is also probably a very low.
0: yeah and I go to like the you know mom and pop mortar stores in in my city to buy the actual hardware games and the markups there are insane. I think when I bought Pokemon Blue a couple yeah. of months ago it cost me a hundred dollars. Oh my god. Is there anything close to a, um, you know,
1: Amazon of vintage games or like, a uh, like what do you think is the most trusted platform for people to easily access the stuff if they didn't want to go through the process of like hunting it down physically
0: in a mom and pop shop or something? Um, I think eBay is your best bet to be honest. Gotcha. And I'm and guessing you that- probably want to like
1: look at the store reviews and make sure that they're vetted with, by other people, um, Rather than like you know just a bunch of random uh, pages where you can purchase it for like you know some random amount.
0: Yeah, and that vetting takes a long time, right? Mm-hmm. And with some of these reproduced games, mm-hmm. like you can't even tell sometimes. Like there, there's no standardized way to check if uh, uh, a Super Nintendo game is authentic or not. Yeah. Or like your NES cartridge, because you know who knows who knows how they put that together.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I guess I guess the TLDR of what you're saying is this is a, a very intensive process. If you want to be able to play any of these games on original hardware and get the original experience, it's not exactly like a, a walk in the park. It's like a it's an active hobby for people to 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 even attempt this.
0: Yeah, you you need to like really commit to to doing this. Yeah. Cause it's, it's a lot of information that you need to understand. And like, you know, you don't want like your bootleg Pokemon copy after you spent hundreds of dollars. Right. So yeah.
1: Um, are there communities that are dedicated to helping people out with this hobby? I'm assuming there's like discord servers or subreddits for people that are like wanting to dive into this, but maybe I'm wrong.
0: Uh, there might be, I actually don't know personally. I, I tend to go to these physical stores. Mm-hmm. Um, So, you know, maybe I got duped there too. To be honest, it's not that hard. (laughs) But uh, I I think like talking with the owners and knowing some of the folks there, you tend to get kind of a better deal and understand if something's good or not. Yeah, yeah. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um, So we were just talking about the cartridge itself or CDs (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The problem is... Let's say you don't want to buy a CRT monitor because it takes up a lot of space. And honestly, I don't even know where to get them half the time. Maybe a yard sale at this point. Um, let's say you bought a original Super Nintendo. The other problem is a lot of retro hardware doesn't work with newer hardware. Like your Sony HDTV that you have <laughs> is not going to have an S-Video input. So you're going to have to buy another converter to, you know, actually convert the audio and video into the display that you have. Yeah. And the other problem at that point is that the ratios are different, right? So the ratio as in like the length and the height of the screen, CRT monitors tended to be like four by three, mm-hmm. whereas a lot of the newer TVs are 16 by nine. So your image is going to be like stretched horizontally. Yeah, yeah. There's also the fact that even if, um, like, for
1: for example, a lot of these games were optimized for older monitors fundamentally. So the yeah. way that they even look visually is gonna be is gonna be different. I think um, if anyone's curious about diving into this at a really deep level, there's a great YouTube channel called Digital Foundry that's um, uh, you know dove into this topic of CRT monitors and how they actually um, can generate like really high resolution games because mm-hmm. of the, the way that. Um, uh, you know, the pixels literally work from a hardware perspective. But the reason why a lot of us look back at some of these old games that we used to play as kids and, and remember them being super crisp and, and very visually clear is because uh, they were built for CRT monitors. But when right. you try to play that on a modern panel, it just literally doesn't look as good because the art style and the way that uh, it's rendered isn't suited to be that high resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty interesting. Like it, it, you just genuinely will enjoy the experience rest because it looks worse on modern hardware than it does on like an old CRT monitor.
0: Yep. hundred percent agree. Um, I'm glad you brought that up cause I, I didn't have it in my notes, but I, I want to talk about it. Um, do you know the title of the digital foundry video? Is it just like you look up CRT digital foundry?
1: Uh, yeah, there's, so there's one video called digital foundry or sorry, DF direct modern games look amazing on CRT monitors. Mm -hmm. um but they just they honestly have many videos where they just run old games and new games on crt tvs to kind of show how um the way that they look visually are very different just because of the panels being different um and it's pretty fascinating to to dive into it as someone that's not really that knowledgeable about the tech behind a lot of this stuff um it was pretty cool to to kind of see how how different these games are um under their old hardware
0: yeah like if if it if you don't want to look it up, the TLDR version of it is CRT monitors tend to blur away a lot of the edges. So if you render a pixel sprite on a high-definition TV, all the edges will look super jagged, and you're going to be mm-hmm. like, oh, this looks awful. But on a CRT monitor, it actually smooths and blurs all that away, so it looks kind of like this, like, a, like an actual picture versus sprites.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a much more pleasant visual experience than um, you know, like the the raw image that you're going to get by playing it on on an HDTV. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah, but it's a pretty interesting it, I think it also goes back to the the overall theme of, you know, these couple episodes is around why some of the experience of playing these games now um isn't as great as when you play them as a kid. It the hardware is a component of that. It's not necessarily just nostalgia and game design, mm-hmm. but literally the things that you play these
0: games on have changed so much that, um, that it's not a
1: one-to-one comparison anymore.
0: Right. and And like Reza said, it's like the game developers optimize for that specific hardware. So there's no way they would have known... Like yeah. high definition, like a 4K <laughs> TV at that time.
1: I don't think they could have even imagined it,
0: honestly. Yeah. <laughs> OLED 4K, 8K TVs <laughs> on, on
1: a 5.1 surround sound. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of great how much it's progressed,
0: but yeah, I know it's wild. So yeah. So even if you get all the har- uh hardware, if you change anything in the middle, right? you know, it'll be very different from the original experience. So going back to what we were saying of like that phenomena of, Oh, I remember this game feeling like this. If you change anything, even if the technology has technically upgraded since then, it may detract from the original experience. Yep. Um, Um,
1: maybe I can transition to emulation. Okay. Um, yeah, so I mean, in general, it sounds like this is a like a very fascinating experience to have to be able to play these games on the original hardware. But there's a lot of upfront investment. It's going to be both financially difficult and like logistically difficult. So it sounds like a potentially easier route for a lot of people is emulation, um, where you are effectively just emulating the original hardware uh, in in like a new way. I don't have that much experience with this just because I I thought it was a bit difficult to set up. But I think you have. Um, a bit more experience here. Maybe we can talk through the listeners to, you know, like what this really works
0: as. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny because you said there was a lot of setup. Like, you know, like as if getting all the original stuff is much easier. <laughs> That's uh, a fair point. Yeah. But to be honest, like, you know, given all the challenges of getting original everything, I feel like emulation is almost kind of this like, Trial period, right? It, yeah, like that's b- a good point. before spending a thousand dollars on everything, just like give it a try on your computer.
1: You mean you don't casually spend a thousand dollars without thinking, Tristan? <laughs>
0: no. <laughs> <laughs> Hard. Um, so just going back to the definition, emulation is the method of uh, emulating the original hardware. Thank you, Wikipedia. Um, I always like to think there are two versions. Uh, two versions of this right? Like one is you don't even have the game, right? Mm -hmm. And you want to give it a shot. So, you know, let's say Raza wants to play Pokemon blue. He doesn't want a game boy. He doesn't have the game boy cartridge. How does he try it out? Um, And due to advances in technology, (laughs) uh, you can just (laughs) get a digital version of the game, uh, especially of retro games, like older games uh, via what they call a ROM. Uh, It's just a dump of the information of the cartridge imagine like you took a game cartridge and put it in a copier that would like output the exact same information um and you can get that file on your computer and uh there's also digital emulators that you can download through google that will take these files and basically uh you know process the logic and play the game for you um so you can play pokemon on your computer Mm -hmm. and this is free uh, which is like, cool. yeah, financial Sounds, barrier, zero. Is that is that legal though? Uh, so I don't want to get too deep into the legal discussions because I think depending on country, it's different, depending on yeah. the situation that you're in. But in the US, there was a ruling, I believe in the 90s, where they said if you own the game, it is legal for you to own a digital ROM. Now, oh, that's is, interesting. I didn't realize that was uh,
1: a legal guidance. I'd often seen that, but uh, I assumed it was just like a, you know, best practices
0: slash like ethical reason. Um No, this was a, let me look it up. This was 1992, it looks like. Hmm, that's pretty cool. Sega versus Accolade. Um, basically the console manufacturers wanted to stop emulation as you can imagine right mm-hmm. being able to freely just download the game um, you know you, you don't want that but uh, so there were two rulings that happened in 92 one was around emulators so you know as you can imagine the console hardware is something that is proprietary to a company um, so the court ruled that if emulators, are if you reverse engineer how a console works mm-hmm. through clean room design, aka like you don't steal any design documents, yeah. that is legal. So emulators are legal. And then in terms of ROMs, which is like the digital version of a game, uh, there was another ruling in 1992 uh, against Nintendo where if you legally purchased a copy of the physical thing, you can own the digital version. Very cool. And there's like pretty extensive
1: communities to help uh, learn how to do this too, right? I feel like I've definitely seen a few subreddits plus discords um, that are kind of focused on very easily providing tutorials for people to walk through if they want to do something like this.
0: Yeah, it's it's like much easier than when I started emulating games. Um, (laughs) it's, It's hard, like... Another thing was like a lot of these sites that gave provided ROMs would host viruses instead of the actual yeah. games. Uh, but a lot of that is gone now. And due to kind of the preservation efforts, um, if you dig a little bit into Reddit, there's basically a <laughs> website that provides like ROMs of every single game up to like, you know, I think the the GameCube, like that area. Oh, era. wow. That's so, really cool. Yeah, it's, I, I think there's been a lot of changes over the years in, in how emulation is viewed and the access to it. Um, yeah. But uh, given that, of course, there are legal ways to basically do this digital emulation. Um, a lot of the publishers and game developers actually provide methods like this. So if you look at things like Virtual Console on Nintendo or I believe PlayStation Plus or PlayStation Now on Sony... Xbox Arcade, um, the developers actually just let you download older games, so you can. Yeah, uh, what a lot of um, what
1: the approach that uh, that Sony's been taking is allowing people to play older games through the cloud. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know before um, PS5 came out, there were a ton of rumors about backwards compatibility and how backwards compatible it would be. Um, and I think the most insane rumor was that the PS5 would be backwards compatible all the way to PS1 and be able to yeah. play. <laughs> every PlayStation game that had ever existed, which I, I don't know. I, I mean, even in the most optimistic sense, that just like, is that seems really, really optimistic. Um, and so uh, when it came out, obviously it was only backwards compatible up to PS4, but Sony's solution for that has been offering a subscription service whereby you are, can effectively play these older games through the cloud and stream them directly to your console. Um, you're playing a small premium to do this, but effectively you're playing a subscription to just access a library old old games, um, which is a pretty great way to emulate those things in a very accessible way, right? Like if anyone's right. curious about trying those games out, it's super easy to access, it's legal, um, and you're, you're doing it using hardware you already have, right? So mm-hmm. there's no real investment beyond this, uh, beyond the, the subscription. So it's pretty interesting to see how other... I think Sw- the uh, Switch does this as well, if you subscribe to their online service. Um, They give you access to a a catalog of old Nintendo games that you're basically just playing through the cloud or or I don't know if they've like emulated it to the Switch. Um, But it's pretty interesting how some of the newer uh, companies have kind of adapted uh, to, you know, uh, the fact that people want to be playing these older games.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of these things aren't without controversy of... I think the biggest challenge with Nintendo is that let's say you bought Super Mario Brothers, like the NES version on your Wii virtual console, right? And Mm -hmm. then you have to buy it again on your Wii U. You have to buy it again. Like how many times do you have to keep buying this game that you just want to play on the newest version of Nintendo's console? Nintendo is
1: very notorious about this. (laughs) They just Mm -hmm. keep releasing the same games and still charging $60 for them every time (laughs) they release them.
0: It's hilarious. Um. And I I think the other thing is, you know, going back to the backwards compatibility and emulation an emulator is not going to be the exact same as playing on the original console, right? Because you're, it's like reverse engineered, or it's like slightly different from the hardware, right? You're not Mm -hmm. playing on the original hardware. So there are oftentimes issues with, you know, maybe performance challenges or there's like more bugs or less bugs. So there, there are slight differences if you decide to go down the emulation route at all. You know, regardless of if it's legitimate or legal or not.
1: Have you seen any examples of uh, ROMs that have made changes to the original game uh, just based off of like community agreement? Um, like I, I know with most modern games, there is a lot of uh, modding available, right? Where you can just mm-hmm. like uh, improve the game. Through like different quality of life changes, new assets, stuff like that. It's a pretty active, like Skyrim is the best example of this. Yeah. But have you seen folks do this uh, for any older Nintendo or just older games in general? Is there a community out there that's kind of doing this for old games or do people like to preserve the very original game uh, in these ROMs?
0: I'm really glad you brought that up because why I would advocate for ROMs and, and not like the developer methods is that those communities are pretty active. Mm-hmm. And the amount of modifications that you can do is pretty insane. So, yeah. like, you know, it goes from one end of the spectrum where, you know, Mother 2 or Mother 3, uh, I forget which one, like, basically games that only had Japanese releases, people mm-hmm. will actually translate the entire game. Oh, wow. So that English speaker, uh, speakers can play them. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, I've seen other examples where they do voice acting, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they'll 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 um, they'll create whole new dialogues and exactly you said like other other languages just yeah. just for the sake of doing it. I mean, this is the way that um, uh, actually. I, never mind, Ign- ignore that segment. I was going to talk about how uh, CD Projekt Red got their start from taking the Witcher games and adapting them to the Polish audience, mm-hmm. um, but that's
0: totally unrelated. <laughs> 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 um. And then there's like the other end of the spectrum where, you know, we'll talk about this next episode, but obviously the gaming industry, games in general, have evolved and changed over time. So if you go back and play Pokemon, the experience, even for me, is going to suck. You know, yeah. random encounters, you know, some parts of the system oh, aren't that polished. Uh, <laughs> there are ROM hacks. They call them ROM hacks because you're, you're like hacking the ROM. Mm -hmm. Um, that bring quality of life improvements so like there are versions of final fantasy where you know there's no random encounters um or or basically you know making the game more accessible to the modern gamer uh relative to the original version gotcha okay that's pretty cool yeah and i think it you know going back to like programming and developing it also promotes a lot of like community driven development like uh, yeah. super mario world i think Kai- super kaizo world is like a really hard rom hack that spawned this like legacy of people building mario levels eventually nintendo had to release super mario maker uh themselves because like people were just doing it uh, in the underground scene so um, it has influenced the gaming culture overall as well
1: yeah i gotta say this is a bit of a segue but i feel like the gaming community as a whole is some of the best example of just like a community to like taking ownership of something and Mm -hmm. just adding to it. Um, It's, it's really cool to see how far people will go to improve on games that they care about and love. Um, And it's unique to video games, right? Like um, I've seen a few examples of people like remastering TV shows and stuff like that, but no one's out there rewriting a book unless you, I don't know, count fan fiction um (laughs) but it's definitely not as like intensive as someone literally uh you know doing their own voice acting or or writing code to improve the game from the ground up um it's pretty impressive what what folks are able to do
0: yeah i think the barrier to entry is much lower right like if you want to remake a movie what are you gonna do hire the original actors (laughs) (laughs) yeah totally um so we covered a lot about like emulating digital versions of the game, like if you if you don't own anything at all. But there are ways also to emulate a physical version of the game. So let's say I own the Poke, uh, Pokemon Blue cartridge. Um, there are other ways to play the game without buying the original hardware and all the technology around it, like the AV equipment. Um, and that is because a lot of companies... Prime example. I always love bringing up uh, analog. We're we're not sponsored, but if you know if they want to send over some (laughs) free consoles, we won't say no. Um, They provide hardware that can interpret and run the original code on the cartridge. Um, And going back to that court ruling that we just mentioned, they do this via reverse engineering. You know, they interpret the code and try to emulate the original hardware as much as possible, Um, and. You know, of course, this requires some financial investment. You're not doing this for free. The consoles tend to cost a few hundred dollars, um, but it is the best way to play these games that are compatible with modern hardware. Uh, so you can output to HDMI, you can use wireless controllers. Um, these consoles tend to come with their own OS where you can like turn on and off filters, different settings to make it more like the older games or like more like the modern era. Um, so that is another option that you have in terms of emulation if you own the physical thing.
1: That's super cool. I got to say there's something really nice about this one as well because you can emulate not just a game but the experience of playing that game as a kid a little bit. Uh-huh. Right, like with a purely digital emulator where you have like a digital version of the console plus a digital version of the game, you're probably still playing this on a laptop or a pc right, and uh-huh. like you might have a have a controller plugged in, but it's definitely not the same as like holding a handheld uh little thing in your hands and like playing with the controls that were available on an old Game boy or something like that. I think it's pretty cool for folks that are willing to put in the down payment uh, to to try out this experience um I feel like you know, it adds to the nido- uh, to, to the nostalgic part of playing a lot of these games.
0: Yeah, and like, especially for folks who own these games from their childhood, right? Yeah. Like, I have a lot of N64 games. I have some SNES games. Being able to actually access and like play these games again is really nice. Because like, yes, I can download Star Fox 64 on my computer and play it. But, you know, if I go back <laughs> home, dig out the cartridge from my parents' basement and, like, be able to play it somehow. I, I feel like it brings a lot of that nostalgia back. Yeah, yeah. No, that's super cool. Um, before we move on to the next category, I just want to ask, have you emulated games before? No, I haven't. I've given
1: it a go, like, a few times, but I feel like there weren't any games that uh, I felt passionate enough about trying for me to actually go through the, you know, jump through the hoops of, of downloading and, and messing with everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I personally haven't. Uh, on my laptop or anything like that. I feel like, again, this is where you are an expert because I'm guessing you've done both of these an extensive number of times.
0: Yeah, I. Uh, so growing up, my parents didn't buy me too many games. Um, I mean, for the right reasons. Yeah, uh,
1: we're Asian. It's pretty normal.
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> and I didn't have a good gaming computer either. So I, I, I mean, I could play StarCraft as all Koreans do, but other than that, there weren't <laughs> many other things. So I ended up, emulating a lot of super nintendo games growing up uh, even though my first console was an n64 gotcha. so like final fantasy 6 kirby superstar super mario world uh mario all-stars like the reason i really like these games is because i emulated them on my computer um and i i think oh god nintendo don't send your lawyers after me but like <laughs> i had a lot of anger against their whole like virtual console and you know game access mentality or philosophies yeah. so uh you know even when i got into high school and college i actually jail broke my 3ds and ds oh my and god I just like load up roms on there and play on there i'm calling uh, the cops right now yeah so <laughs> if you don't see me after this episode you know you know what happened <gasps> nintendo's but, lawyers will come after you for that too that's a hilarious thing Yeah. I mean, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to keep this on. Future Tristan, (laughs) don't cut this out. Um, But, yeah, I've done a lot of emulation in that sense and then, I I mean, to be fair, I've also owned these games. Um, And, you know, more recently, I've been collecting games that I really, really like, you know, either buying the mint unwrapped packaged versions of the games and just holding on to them, or like you know, going back to the mom and pop brick and mortar store, I would buy SNES games or NES games. And I do have a super, uh, what do you call it? Super NT from analog. So I have it hooked up to my TV and I'll play a bunch of games there.
1: Gotcha. Very cool.
0: Um, have you had any like
1: mishaps in the process of trying to play, play any of these games or set up emulators? I know you talked about how earlier some of these sites weren't exactly the most reliable back in the day and had malware and stuff like that. Did you have any bad experiences?
0: uh the only bad experience i've had was uh i used to torrent roms instead of downloading them directly and i accidentally left one in the uh upload directory and i got an email from the esa the electronic uh what do they call software association uh basically sending me a cease and desist and (laughs) as a middle school kid i was like scared out of my mind (gasps) That's funny. Yeah, I got a letter, or not a letter, I got an email
1: uh, when I uh, torrented Skyrim in high school. I remember Mm -hmm. my mom was like, what is this and why are they threatening to stop our internet? Uh, (laughs) And I was... I was so scared. I remember texting one of my friends who showed me how to do this. Yeah, and I was like, "Are they going to come after me? Should I delete the game?" And he was like, "Dude, you're <laughs> do fine." Do I need to move out of the country? <laughs> Nothing's going to happen. Just don't do it again. And I was like, "Okay, I'm so sorry." And he was like, "Why are you apologizing to me?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's much more stable to to attempt a lot of these things now because um, it's just gotten more standardized over the years.
0: Yeah, cool. Should we move over to remasters?
1: Yeah. Did you want to talk about remasters and remakes? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so I think, uh, you know, we've talked about remasters and remakes uh, over the course of a lot of our episodes. Um, some of the older games that we've talked about have been lucky enough to get a remaster or remake, but I want to take a step back and really actually define what a remaster or a remake even is, since uh, a lot of folks might be confused about, you know, what the difference even is for um, for folks. But I think... Um, Overall, I think a remaster and a remake are both great ways to play a classic game um, because both of them are often work done by the original game dev to remaster or remake their original classic game to be improved for a lot of newer consoles. So a remaster, what it does, it takes the original game and it's made to run it on newer hardware. So a lot of the games in this group are uh, really just putting, uh, as Tristan likes to call it, putting lipstick on a pig (laughs) Um, but, uh, I, I feel like the experience of playing these games are honestly like pretty great. A lot of the time, um, they're not making massive changes to the underlying graphics or doing like new voice acting or anything like that. Um, but a lot of the things that like you'll experience, um, between an original game and a remastered game are, um, like higher texture qualities. Um, it'll run better. So an old game that might've been running at like 30 FPS might now run at 60 FPS, um, and a lot of the times they'll also just tack on a lot of quality of life improvements. Um, so little areas where an old AI or, you know, uh, general behavior by NPCs was like annoying or something, they'll, they'll sometimes modify that behavior. Um, but it's, it's fundamentally limited, right? Like it's not a ground up rebuild. You're working off of the old game and just improving it in a very iterative way. Um, So there's a couple of great examples of this. Um, The ones that come to mind for me are like Uncharted. Um, I personally played the Uncharted remaster when I was in college. Um, It was actually one of the one of the things that I played that kind of bolstered my I like love for gaming, because I hadn't really done it in a while. But I remember playing Uncharted and remembering how it was like to play it um, as a high schooler. Um, And it was it was honestly just a a ton of fun. Justin, do you have any examples of like old remasters that 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 you've fun uh, or that you've played which were a ton of fun?
0: Yeah. Um StarCraft: Remastered, very very good. Um the StarCraft is uh if you don't know it is like a 1998 1999 PC RTS real-time strategy game and it got increasingly difficult to play on modern computers as you would imagine because like resolution changes you know the hardware changes the os changes uh because it was built for like windows 98 um and like the remaster just made it work on hd monitors you know the sound got upgraded it looks nice uh so that's like kind of my standard um which is funny because blizzard also remastered warcraft 3 which like they completely screwed up (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't know how that happened. Um, but to your, answer your question directly, Starcraft remastered is like a, a really good example of a good remaster. Yeah, I, I do think you bring up a really good point though, in that
1: like not all remasters are guaranteed to be good. Um, there's uh, remasters are fundamentally less work than doing a remake, and we'll talk about what a remake is in, in a little bit. But because of the fact that they're fundamentally less work and they're built on top of the old game, Sometimes uh, you just aren't able to fix it as well. But at the same time, sometimes there's just bad attempts at, at remasters. I think the best example I come back to is the recent GTA remaster. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember people were wanting to replay a lot of these games um, uh, for a while. And they'd been asking Rockstar for a remaster of these old games for a very long time. Um, and when they came out, they, it was honestly shocking how bad these remasters were. Mm -hmm. um textures were bad uh it was like visually crap and but they were also just charging a lot of money for what you eventually got and it was very clearly like an attempt at just like ricking in some cash um uh because of the fact that they knew these games were going to sell and there was like a nostalgia attached to them to a lot of old gamers who would be excited at potentially trying them out on newer hardware with better quality of life experiences and better graphics um, but that's not what they got, right? What they got was, like, a a, a badly done remaster, which just wasn't fun to play and, and looks like crap. And in some yep. instances, can, like, uh, ruin the legacy of the old game or make yeah, people, yeah. you know, like, not want to actually try out the original game at all, uh, which is really sad, honestly.
0: It It's weird because, like, honestly, I, I'm just gonna n- not address the complexity of coding and developing a game. So, maybe this, this statement is biased, but, like, <laughs> doing a remaster you literally have everything. You have the gameplay loop, yep. you have most of the assets. You don't really have to think about much ver- like outside of just getting it to run on the new engine that you're building it for. Yeah. And I feel like capitalism and money <laughs> always <laughs> ruins it cuz they somehow screw some of these remasters up a lot. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah,
1: d- definitely. I think like in Rockstar examples it was like um because of the fact that a lot of these textures and assets are already existing what mm-hmm. a lot of studios will do is they'll programmatically improve these textures so instead of like I don't know going from the ground up and remaking new textures they'll have they'll, they'll have programs that'll just run through a lot of these assets and then scale them up in quality to be better in in, in higher resolution which is honestly a, a great way to at scale improve a lot of these games without taking up too many resources right. the problem is when when studios over rely on this technique and the output that you get isn't actually vetted or 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 looked at before it's put into the final game, and I think like again, uh, 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 Grand Theft Auto is one of the best examples of this. They, it's a, a lot of these textures when they're upscaled don't look as good. They just like don't look good because the program wasn't meant to handle that for every single type of texture, um, and so sometimes the developers just won't put as much attention to these things because of the fact that you know, they're easy cash sometimes, right? Like they require less marketing. You're, you're, you're able to rely on the nostalgia. Um, and so, yeah, it's unfortunate when that happens because good remasters are, are awesome. They're, they're like a ton of fun to be able to like play these old games again with just like nice improvements. And mm-hmm. they're also probably some of the most accessible ways to try out a lot of these games because um, uh, they take less investment than a remake and they're also easily accessible on the consoles that people currently already have. Um, so when done well, I think they're, they're, they're an awesome thing to provide to, to, uh, to gamers. Yep. Um, the next one, which uh, we've also talked about is a remake. So how is a remake actually different than a remaster? Um, well it's exactly as it sounds, it's a remake. Uh, so rather than remastering the original assets and building off of a game, uh, the, the code that's kind of already existing, what a remake does is attempt to build the game from the ground up. Um, so you're remaking the game using a lot of the same ideas. Um, you, you oftentimes the, fo- the foundational elements of the game are kept the same right Like it's the same story, it's the same character, a lot of the same game mechanics and things like that. But what they're doing is they're uh, rebuilding the game from the ground up. So this is like net new um, you know net new assets, net new uh, net new voice acting, uh, and just like a fundamentally newer tech stack to build on top of, which often leads to remakes being some of the best ways to experience um, a lot of old games, which uh, which which are lucky enough to be actually remade. Um, yeah. I think there's been a lot of really great examples for this. Um, uh, I think remakes are becoming a little bit more popular recently. At least, maybe this is just my perception, but I think the success of some of the recent ones have kind of made developers more open to trying them out, maybe a little bit too much to an extent, which we'll talk about in a bit, but um, if folks are interested, there's a ton of really great remakes that are kind of available. Um, one of the the first ones that I remember being like a really great remake was a Shadow of the Colossus, um, mm-hmm. which uh, was remade by a studio called Blue Point Games. Um, it's a fantastic remake. They took uh, the a, a really great game that for a lot of people was just, you know, visually stunning for its time, but had aged, unfortunately, and uh and kind of you know added a a a fresh coat of paint to it um and what came about it was a game that was true to its predecessor and had a lot of the same elements and the same you know experience of playing those games but with a with a fresh visual experience which was honestly just like a ton of fun for for a lot of people to play um i know you don't like this game tristan but do you remember (laughs) when this remake came out like did you give it a go
0: uh, I mean, they remake this game every PlayStation generation. <laughs> so, like, I, actually, maybe minus PS5. But I remember, I I think the original came out PS2, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I I remember iko and Shadow Colossus came out for PS2. Then they remade it for PS3. Then they remade it again for PS4. Did so. they really remake it for PS3? Uh, was or it a was remaster? it just a remaster? Ah, uh, you're right. It was just a remaster. They did a classic HD version for <laughs> of Icon Shadow Clauses. Um, but yeah, I d- I did play it. Uh, w- was was that your question? If I played it, I, I'm just curious. Like, what was
1: your experience like between playing the original when you were a kid versus when you played the remaster?
0: Oh, I never played the original. I never had oh, a okay, PS2, okay. so I, I okay. only played the uh, remake. And I remember okay. even then, I was like oh, God, this is going to get super controversial in here. I was like, man, people went wild over this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think the reason why the game was so popular was just the visual style of it. Like, at least for its time, mm-hmm. it had a fluidity to it, which like, wasn't present at any of the other games that were there. And yeah. so it really was kind of cool to see how far people could push it. I do agree that like the remake, um, it isn't as stellar compared to a lot of the games that are available out there. But as a remake of the original game, I think it's, it, it was really well done. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's really cool with Shadow of the Colossus is that it was remade by a different studio than the original studio that made the mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. So there's there's actually studios that have dedicated themselves to making remakes and and you know taking on remasters. So um, it's pretty cool that th- they usually work collaboratively with the original studio. And I think Blue Point Game is is, is probably one of the most well known ones. They've done some really great remakes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Demon's Soul being the most popular one. Um, but or sorry, the most recent one, but it's pretty cool that you can kind of pass it on to another studio and uh, let them rebuild it from the ground up while still carrying over some of the spirit of the original game in my opinion.
0: yeah, I mean, like like I mentioned, the type of skills that you need to remaster or remake a game is very different than like building a brand new IP yep because like I, I feel like the production and and kind of development cycles are very different. so, Usually, the folks who are really good at remaking games just will remake games because you. I'm sorry, I'm not like trying to downplay Blue Point, but like you don't need a creative director or someone like that, right? Like- yeah,
1: it's very different. You have a lot of the foundational stuff already done by the mm-hmm. OG studio and you're carrying that over and maybe adding improvements to it to modernize it. But a yeah. lot of the like OG mechanics are kind of already done there. What's really cool also is they don't just try to like carry over the mechanics, but they they really go for a one to one with regards to everything. Uh, right. So like the uh, I think Demon Soul is a really great example of this. Um, uh, From software games have a lot of stuff going on behind the scene that contribute to the experience of playing a FromSoft game. And so this includes things like iframes, which allow you to stay invisible for invincible for a small period of time. Um, the AI of the actual enemies and the ways that they function. Um, there's a lot of meticulous decisions made, which are fundamentally math and numbers behind the scene, which need to be carried over to these new games for the experience to stay the same. And matching that one-to-one is a difficult task, but it's also a different skill than, you know, like trying yeah. to build a game from the ground up. On new hardware
0: and new engines.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's really, it's so impressive that they're able to do it as well as they are. Uh, it's a It's a different skill set, but it's just as difficult, I would say.
0: Yeah. I also want to bring up another good example of, of a remake, which is actually two examples. I'm just going to go off script here. Uh, <laughs> one was final fantasy seven remake. Yep, Because I, you know, we, we talked about remaking the game using same ideas, but, uh, and this is spoiler alert, like skip three minutes. Final fantasy seven remake is not even a remake. Cause like the story changes and like the characters changes <laughs> Yeah, they they right. made a,
1: a good number of changes to that original. Uh, yeah, it's like a sequel game. at
0: this point. So, yeah. I, like, how, like how do we draw the boundary of like what is the, it, is Final Fantasy VII remake even a remake? Yeah, no, tell, uh, I think I think that's a totally valid point. It is kind of cool though that like
1: it uh, it's it has the freedom to do that right, whereas with mm-hmm. the remaster you couldn't do that at all, right? Like creating whole new characters and changing plot line would require a ton of in- upfront investment, yeah. which is unique to being able to do with the remake, um, which is kind of cool.
0: Yeah. C- can you imagine like Final Fantasy VII remastered on your PS2 or whatever, and like the story <laughs> changes halfway through and you're like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm um, kind of curious to see how
1: how studios kind of stretch this over the years. Because I think mm-hmm. Final Fantasy VII Remake was probably one of the first ones that really, you know, took the original plot line as making like pretty significant changes to it. There's some yeah. rumors that something similar will happen to um, uh, an upcoming remake for The Last of Us, which I think you and I should probably talk about a little bit here as well. Um, And I'm curious whether this is, like, I I don't know how true that is, obviously just a rumor, but I'm curious, like, how other studios in the future will kind of handle remakes, uh, whether they'll treat it as, like, a one-to-one match the way that something like Demon's Souls is, or whether Mm -hmm. they see it as an opportunity to kind of revisit a story and improve on it with, like, a fresh take um, the way that Final Fantasy VII has been treating it.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that. More, but I just want to touch upon another good example before we jump to that, because we have a whole section on this. Um, I think the recent Resident Evil remakes have been fantastic. I don't know if you got a chance yeah. to play them, but uh, Resident Evil, if you don't know what it is, it's a horror game series. And the older ones, like Resident Evil 1 to 3, um, tended to be this like kind of fixed perspective camera. So like the camera doesn't move, but the, your character moves around it. Um, and it was very, it, I mean, let's, let's just say it hasn't aged too well. (laughs) Um, but like they remade two and three as like a third person shooter. Um, it looks amazing. Yeah. Uh, And it's a lot of fun. So I I think this is a good example of like, you know, even like in terms of like building it from the ground up, taking creative uh, liberties, like basically changing the genre of the game itself is what they did with the remakes for resident evil.
1: Yeah, I haven't played it myself, but I've seen a lot of gameplay videos of it, and
0: it was pretty cool what they were able to do. Um, So, Last of Us Remake. So, The Last of Us was a PS3 game on launch, I believe. Mm -hmm. Then they remastered it for PS4, and they are releasing a remake this year on PS5. And my question to you was, when is a remake too early to do? Yeah, I I don't have a concrete answer
1: for this either. I feel like um, I feel like it is a little early to be making a Last of Us remake. I'm not complaining as someone uh-huh. that loves the OG <laughs> game. Um, but one thing to note is the new upcoming remake is going to be seventy dollars, uh, which is being treated the same as another like fresh, brand new AAA game made by any other studio. Right. Um. And I think that is a pretty big asterisk, right? Like, if they were to charge thirty dollars or something for this game, I think it'd be much more justifiable, thirty or forty, for someone like me who's a fan and has played the like the remaster. Mm-hmm. Um. But is it really uh, early enough to justify like a fresh game to, uh, price tag, um, and for it to be treated as like on par with other remakes? And yeah. I guess like, if the answer for that is no, then I would also say that it's probably too early for it to even be remade. Uh, Like the original experience is still very accessible by a lot of people. um, So I don't know if it was a necessary remake.
0: Yeah. Like the original game came out nine years ago. It's it's not, it's it's not old. old.
1: No, I mean, it's, it's really just one generation old at this point because the remaster is perfectly playable. It's, it's a great experience. It's how I played the game for the first time um and with backwards compatibility on the ps5 you can play the last of us part uh part one uh as it's now being called for i don't know like 15 bucks 20 bucks Mm -hmm. with like great visuals same story beat and it'll still be an amazing experience um i don't know if we need a a ground up remake of the game for 70 bucks this soon are you gonna buy it Oh yeah, totally. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to spend seventy bucks on it though. I'm going to wait for it to go down to like thirty or forty, probably.
0: I I feel like this is a great opportunity for like Sony and Naughty Dog to do almost like a not a trade in system, but if you own the remaster, you should get a little bit of a discount. Yeah, like, I think they did this with Final Fantasy VII Remake. If you own the PS4, like you got the PS5 version, and you got a little bit of discount for the intergrade. Yeah.
1: I do think though, that, like this is a case where we're just not the audience, um, and I guess like this is another thing with remakes is like, are I don't know if remakes are intended for people to play if they have a nostalgic experience with the OG game mm-hmm. or if they're made to be about a completely new gaming audience. And if they capture the the like nostalgic old gamers, it's like a nice it's like a nice to have, you know, it's like sprinkles on the ice cream, but it's not the ice cream itself. Yeah, um, because The Last of Us is a particularly special case in that they have an HBO show coming out um, and the last game one game of the year. And in general, the last of us is is much more in the public eye. And so I think this is an instance where they may be trying to capitalize on the fact that it's going to be even more popular coming up and lining that up is like, frankly, just nice cash flow for the studio, which I I can't even argue
0: is like a bad thing um, for gamers or anything like that. Yeah. If it's going to fund their next, amazing game fine We'll yeah uh, we'll we'll let it pass
1: i do think one thing to note is um they recently released a video kind of going into detail with how they've changed the 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 remake from the og game from a mechanics perspective Mm -hmm. um nothing about plots and it is kind of cool what they've done to kind of bring this game up to par with modern games um purely from like a tech perspective um i think like one note is accessibility um, the Last of Us Part Two, when it came out, had some of the best accessibility features of like any game to date. It was genuinely a, a really great accessibility game um, or a, a very accessible game. And the fact that they're able to carry that over to the new game um, is is like a nice thing that would have been much more difficult with the remaster than, than it is with the remake. Um, they're also able to bring over just like. The fact that, uh, you know, the PS5 has a great controller with amazing haptics, which genuinely does make a difference in, like, the experience. Yeah, um, I'm assuming it'll carry over, like, you know, great AI from, from The Last of Us Part II. Um, and as someone who loves the OG game, I think, like, great visuals will only add to the experience. So, again, I'm not complaining that this game was made, and there are ways that it's improved. But I do think there's a valid question to be asked about, like,
0: did this need to be made? Um, which I don't have the answer to yet. Yeah, I, I guess we'll see in September. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I, I, I think we want to note one thing of like, in terms of remakes, a very, very, very small amount of classic games get a remake treatment. Yeah. Like if you, if you think about the entire like uh, circle chart or it's not a Venn diagram, but it's like, imagine like all video games ever made. And then, like, there's a smaller circle that's, like, retro games. Then there's an even smaller circle that's classic games. And there's, like, tiny dot that is, like, classic games that are remade. Um, I I put in the note that Final Fantasy VII Remake even happening is a miracle. I think people were asking for that for, like, decades, right? Yeah,
1: totally. I mean, it, it just takes a lot of upfront investment. And it's like a brand new game for the for the most part, from a tech perspective, anyways. Yeah, it's a brand new game. And so it's rare for, for a game to get that kind of treatment.
0: Yeah. And, and think about this analogy in like other mediums. You don't get a remake of the Mona Lisa. <laughs> <Can> you- <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty funny. Monet dropping a uh, Mona Lisa Remake. Updated and like, with 60 frames per second. <laughs> <laughs> Mona Lisa V2. Uh, movies are rarely remade. And I put it's usually a disaster. I don't know what example that I had in my head for this. I mean, Avatar uh, is probably the best one. Um, I don't know. Things like Friday the 13th, right? Like, yeah. Those remakes are really not good. Um, I guess there are some good ones like Casino Royale. Dune was good. I heard West Side Story is good, but but it's like it's, it's not things that. Ha- oh, that's why I, I had Old Boy, the uh, Western remake, which. Was really bad. <laughs> Anyways, I've seen it. Um, yeah, so I, I, we'll get to this later, but like you know, if you're trying to play a game and a remake exists, you should probably jump to that first. Yeah, yeah, I I,
1: I would definitely agree there.
0: Um, and then our final categories. Uh, is about games that are not accessible anymore. So, you know, we talked about games that are accessible, how to access them, how to enjoy them. But what happens when the games are not even, like you can't even buy them? Um, which sounds weird, but this has happened a couple times already due to, you know, different reasons. One, the game was only available in the digital state and the storefront has shut down. Um, I think this has been happening more recently to be honest like yeah the e-shop for nintendo or like xbox it, xbox's shop front uh, storefront like they can't keep this online forever so they end up shutting it down so a lot of the games that are digital only on those storefronts you cannot get anymore um i think there was an example of like the jump rope game on the switch where Nintendo decided to remove it from the eShop, and then a whole bunch of people complained. So Nintendo put it back up. It was like a $1 game. Um, And another example is PT, which was the playable trailer for Silent Hills uh, that got canceled. Uh, This was on the PlayStation digital store, uh, and they removed it. And I remember for the first couple of months after that happened, people were literally selling their PS4 consoles on eBay, huge (laughs) markup saying, hey, this has like PT installed on this. You know what one of the best examples of this is? What?
1: Flappy Bird.
0: Uh, Do you remember?
1: Yeah, when Flappy Bird was super popular and it Mm -hmm. was so crazy, the developer got overwhelmed and removed it from Stormfronts. And... People were selling iPhones and stuff online that had Flappy Bird installed because yeah. they thought it would make them so much money. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember I didn't play Flappy Bird during its craze, and I wanted to try it, and I was so upset that it wasn't available anymore to to mm-hmm. try without you know finding some backdoor approach to to trying it out. Um, but uh, yeah, I feel like that's the one that most people probably can can recall. Yeah,
0: and and like I said, this happens more and more often now because of like ease of digital distribution, you know, some companies don't even release a physical copy. So it's kind of inevitable that a lot of these games won't be accessible over time. Um, But that's one category. And then the second category are games that require a running server for you to actually play, right? You know, these are games that tend to be multiplayer only, Or maybe they put in some, like, DRM that needs an online check and they shut down those servers. Um, So, you know, usually the workaround here is uh, hopefully the game has a dedicated group that will make private servers. um, Or you're going to have to, like, pull a bunch of friends together to to play the game together. I know a lot of, like, online Wii games require this.
1: Yeah, I feel like this one is honestly, like, even more frustrating to some degree because... In the previous example, if you if it's not available to purchase but you already have it on your device, then like at least you can still access it. Mm-hmm. In this example, uh, because it's depo- it's dependent on a server, you'll have this thing, and it's practically just like a brick of an app or like a yeah. brick of a of a video game. You can't do anything with it, and all of the money that you spent on it is completely wasted at this point. Right? Like you got what you got out of it, and and it's not going to happen anymore. Yeah. Um, Can I make one more point about uh, the last example? Sure. Yeah, I think one of the other things to call out is I think this is actually one of the biggest um, arguments against uh, playing digital games only. Um, I feel like this is a conversation that I see pop up a lot of times between the gamers. Like there's some people who only buy digital games like me. And there's other people who are like argue very strongly for purchasing physical copies um, because of its preservation uh, elements. Um, there's a lot of games that uh, will have updates that will remove features or sometimes l- decrease the quality of the game, and the only way to access the game and its original capabilities is through the physical disc. Whereas if you have the digital copy, it's updated automatically. Oh and, yeah, like the OG game is just like completely gone. Like a one example, very edge case example is like God of War when it first came out. Its mm-hmm. OG 1.0 version was able to run at like a better frame rate. Than future updates because the developers capped it in future updates, and the yeah. only way to access that OG version is by playing it on its uh, disc without updating it at all. Um, I anticipate this being like a more prevalent thing as more and more gamers move to digital only. Um, mm-hmm. It's clearly a push by the recent, you know, uh, by the current generation of games. PS5 and Xbox both have digital only versions, and so it's going to be interesting to see this play out play out over the next 5-10 years.
0: Yeah, I think some of the I I know some games I I can't name them off the top of my head, but like on Steam, you can actually choose what version you want to run, even if you catch oh, really a cool. game. Um, and yeah, I, I guess that's the end of my point. Um, <laughs> but I, but I do agree with you. I, I feel like I've seen this a lot in speedrunning, where like the older versions of the game are like much faster, and people are out there like buying the. Yeah. O- Version 1.0 of Wii Sports instead of version 1.01. <laughs> um, so yeah, and yeah, this is a very hobbyist discussion, though, <laughs> right? Like, no,
1: no average person is going to be like, "God damn it, I got the 1.01 version instead of the 1.0 version."
0: Yeah, yeah, this is like hardcore discussion. Yeah, um, yeah. And let's see. So, what? How do you access or how do you play games that are not accessible anymore? Um, you know, not that these, uh, sorry, there are groups that look to actually preserve these games to make sure that they're accessible in the future. Mm -hmm. So, uh, groups like video game history foundation hit save, uh, there are a lot of different groups. They are looking to make sure that we're able to preserve video games of the past along with their history. So, you know, they preserve things even like game manuals or gaming magazines, or, uh, I remember when, uh, there was like, a very obscure like japanese cell phone gaming storefront that was being shut down and they all rallied together to download all the games there
1: oh so my god
0: they go after all the niche areas of video game preservation very cool. um which you know obviously you're not going to be able to just call them and get a rom but uh i, I think for the long term um they're they're looking at preservation yeah, that's really cool. I think the unique thing about
1: video games here is like, I guess this carries over to like music or any like digital, uh, you know, form of, of entertainment is like you can preserve it one-to-one um, mm-hmm. for the most part, right? Like code doesn't, well, it does degrade sometimes, but for the most part, <laughs> it doesn't degrade the same way that like a physical piece of art does. And right. so I think there's a really strong argument to make that we should make every attempt to preserve literally every video game out there just yeah. for the sake of like preservation. because um, yeah. why not? It's not like it's expensive.
0: Yeah. And 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 like older games, they're like four kilobytes. You know, you can yeah, yeah. fit like a billion of them on your thumb drive. <laughs> um and and you you brought up a good point because there is a parallel to other types of mediums where preservation gets harder because like arcade machines for instance, maybe they only made a hundred of them and the circuit boards are starting to decay, right? Like, where do you find the three that exist on Earth? Yeah. Um, So I I think there's been a lot of effort, and it's been getting harder and harder, especially for older games, where it's, like, physically impossible to find them. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And there was one last inaccessibility that we wanted to talk about, which was, like, games that decide to remove parts of their (laughs) games. Yeah, I think this is the one that is probably
1: the most relevant to, to gamers, mm-hmm. right? Because the chance that something is outright removed from a storefront or something like that, it has a longer timeline. Uh, it just takes a while before um, something you know reaches that point. Um, but it's becoming much more frequent where we see games removing content um, within a really short time frame, uh, time frame. I think the best example I can think of of this is, is Destiny 2. Yeah, um, which has been vaulting content pretty regularly um, since its since its inception, and it's it's really unfortunate. I think it's one that a lot of gamers have called out as being really frustrating. Um, studios' answer is very typically like, "We want to make room for newer content, and uh, you know, make the foundation more stable for us to build future content on." I'm not a game developer; I don't know the validity of that statement.
0: Um, Was that but the I th- reason? I I thought they vaulted content because they didn't want to split the player base too much. Like if they had 10 raids versus two, like, you know, people are not gonna, there's not enough players for each of the raids if there's 10.
1: I think when I read the original or some of the original pieces that uh, one of the arguments made was um, for technical reasons. Like it was to make it easier (laughs) to build on top of, which I just like World of Warcraft is a live action game that's been around for, not live action, but you know what I mean? It's been around for ages, right? And it's continuously building off of the old experience while still keeping it there um and so i don't know i mean i'm again not a game developer i don't know the technical details so i'm not going to be like you're lying but uh uh, i have a hard time believing that that uh you know technical reason was so strong that it necessitates taking away content that people have paid for
0: yeah um yeah it's especially frustrating Uh, i mean i've played destiny 2 in the past it's especially frustrating because destiny 2 along with all its expansions are really really expensive yeah. Like their expansions yeah. are $60. And like they're, they start they're individual games. content. Yeah. Yeah. You can't even play
1: the OG Destiny 2 campaign anymore. Um, oh. Like you cannot play the Destiny 2 game that it originally came out in. Um, this is actually interesting because it, it actually stopped newer players from getting into it. Uh-huh. I think this is an explicit choice by um, by Bungie, and like
0: too many players stop the flow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think like the real money comes from the consistent people that want to just keep playing, the hardcore mm-hmm. gamers that are like frankly a little addicted to this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like trying to get people invested, it's just harder, right? And so I don't I don't know if they care that the current Destiny Two experience is really hard to get into as a new player because yep. they just there's so much there, um, and it's frustrating that the content that would help you potentially onboard. I hate that I say onboard, but it is onboarding, is literally inaccessible now for folks right. that like want
0: to try it out. Wow, I I didn't know they removed like the OG campaign. That's yeah, it's ridiculous. Crazy. The free version of the game just doesn't have it, and it's like,
1: okay, what the hell's huh. going on? Why should I care about these characters? what does this thing even do here yeah it's frustrating
0: it, yeah i feel like destiny 2 is a very weird edge case to some, to a certain extent because a lot of other games that do expansions which tend to be like mmorpgs like world of warcraft or you know final fantasy 14 whenever they release expansions it's like additive yeah right like all the story points from the older campaigns and expansions that you can you can you have to go through them if you want to get to the newest expansion yeah destiny 2 seems to be in a really weird spot It's it's kind of odd yeah it's definitely strange i think
1: there's other examples too where um you just can't play a game that you've purchased because you know the servers are down or the dlc is inaccessible because the the service for the dlc will be gone and so like you just want to have access to these parts of the game which you probably paid at least 20 25 bucks for yeah, um, most of the time, which is pretty frustrating.
0: Actually, I just remembered one more thing. I'm just going to add it in here off, uh, you know, off script. There's another type of inaccessible games, which Ubisoft started doing where they, like you bought one of their games and they take it away from you. Have you heard about this? I haven't. What is this? That's crazy. So, Ubisoft, um, because they're like, hey, we're going to shut down a bunch of our servers. Those games, that's fine, right? Like you shut down server. Fine. But at the same time, they decided that they're going to basically, like, I think it was a bunch of the Assassin's Creed games where even mm-hmm. if you bought them, it's not that they're removing the ability to buy the game in the future. They're literally removing it from your library.
1: That's crazy. Wow. I had no idea this was happening. Yeah. So yeah. there was a I think lot of
0: outcry about that.
1: Yeah, understandably. I think like any other industry, there is going to be um, you know pros and cons to the fact that it's modernizing, and I think this is like one area where video games are, they, like they used to go from a single purchase to uh, now it's a very like live service type thing, right? Like mm-hmm. A lot of games are trying to move toward that medium, and when you move to something that is a, a service fundamentally as opposed to like a good, you just it gives it takes away some of the stuff that some of the control that you have as a consumer. And I think it's something that a lot of gamers are actively pushing against, right? Yeah. Like, I don't think anyone wants us there, I think the stance is, you know, we paid for it. It's ours. Um, but there's definitely a desire in the industry to kind of move towards um, a, like a different approach because frankly, it's just more profitable, um, which
0: sucks. I, I think there are, I think the issue is like, there are examples of developers that do it very well, Right. Like, yeah, I'm just going to name a couple of random things like Apex Legends or Final Fantasy 14. Fortnite. Fortnite. <laughs> I mean, it's <that's> true, though. <laughs> They've done a really good job with their game. Fall Guys. Yeah. Among us. Um, but th- like, you know, when Ubisoft screws it up like this, it it it's like a really sour taste in everyone's mouth and nobody wants to trust that anymore yeah
1: yeah i mean that could be a whole three episodes honestly just talking about to move to games as a service uh <laughs> so we should probably stop before
0: we keep going yeah um but yeah those are the four different ways of accessing your favorite classic game uh just to recap original hardware just buy everything <laughs> You know, from the original time av equipment things like that You can emulate the experience through emulated hardware, uh, things like analog, uh, analogs console, or you can emulate the entire thing and just play it on your computer. Um, Remasters and remakes are another venue. If uh, the game was lucky enough to get that treatment. And sometimes the game is just not accessible uh, and there's not much you can do about it. There are usually some options, but uh, it's very limited. And, Just for our kind of personal opinion, like we said before, if you want to play a game, you should probably go after the remakes or the remasters first, if they exist. Then go for the emulated. And if you're really hardcore about the original hardware for some reason and have the money and the space, um, go for that. I think that's the right ordering, right? Yeah, I would say so. It's definitely the most approachable for most people. Cool. Awesome. Well, hopefully this episode helped you understand how to access these classics next episode we're going to wrap it up talk about the phenomena itself of uh when you actually do go back and play these games why aren't they that much fun to play and then hopefully (laughs) um you'll be well-knowledged in this phenomena uh as always i'm your host tristan john barraza thanks for being here folks bye and we'll see you next time